Okay, good morning. And um, so here, here's um, today's subject. And I, um, it's important to have a foundation in anything you do, right? This is, we've learned this uh, through and through, that um, we're made complete in Christ. Uh, people have made the, the starting pose in Christianity, the finishing pose, and they say, um, you are to work to become holy versus you are holy and work it out, right? People have said you work to become righteous instead of uh, being imputed righteousness or given righteousness as a gift, right? Freely given. That's your starting pose and you work it out. The Bible says those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life. It says much more. They shall much more reign in life. That means above and beyond those who are successful, above and beyond anyone else, those who receive the abundance of grace. Not, not, the, not just grace, the abundance of it. Right? The understanding that there's tons of grace to receive from God. People say, oh, why are you taking advantage of grace, blah, blah, blah. No, you need to take full advantage of grace need to understand that it always makes the gap it always fills the difference between where you're at where you see yourself and where God's standard is it always fills the gap and when you receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness and you embrace that and that's your identity right your righteousness now um, you will reign in life you will reign in in this life it's not talking about eternity in this life we are supposed to reign why do we preach grace? Why do we emphasize grace in every message? Why? Because it's going to make people ring, right? So we talk, we're talking about learning to lead, learning to lead your life, learning to get to a place where you are utilizing God's grace to become an active force of good in everything you do, whether at work, whether in your family, whether with your friends, whether in the church, in every aspect of life, right? And so on our slide, today I'm going to start in Exodus 20:13, And you're going to see that in black here, I put um, the Ten Commandments. And it's, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And that you shall not continue. But notice the law emphasizes one thing, you, you, what you need to do, right? It's the epitome of what we call, it's the law is the highest, it's the height of self-occupation. You shall not. It makes you totally occupied with yourself in what you have to do and what you don't or what you shouldn't do, right? And it makes it all based on your ability. And when you look at yourself and you're in your full of yourself, right? It makes you full of yourself because now you have to muster up the ability to accomplish what is being commanded because you and I shall not. You and I should. You and I this, right? It's, it's, it's the epitome of self-occupation. This is where we get the, the, the idea of, of white people when they come to church and they focus on all the do's and don'ts, they become, um, they, they start lifting their heads up slowly, right? To, to the point where their nose is up above someone else mm -hmm. and they think they're high and mighty because they did the you shall nots and now they're full of themselves because on some level they think they've accomplished what God has asked, right? 
this is where the Pharisees were. This is how they stood and looked. Oh, look, I'm not like this sinner right here, right? And so this is the danger of, of, of making God's Christianity, what God has created to be Christianity, a, a religion. It's where we make it just the, a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts, right? And then what happens is people become completely self-occupied, completely self-reliant, completely full of willpower and self-mastery, right? Which God rejects, because even our righteousness is as filthy rags. When we present the best of ourselves in measurement against what God in the Old Testament desired for us to accomplish, we still come short. So you'll see that the height of the law is self-occupation, right? What does this have to do with leadership? Well, let's look at the other side. Jeremiah 31 and, um, says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So starting at verse 31, um, 31, 31, 31, 32, sorry. Um, 33 says, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will give, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. So we're reading Jeremiah here, okay? It's 32, starting at 32. 31-32. Um, um, we're reading here, you'll see that it says, I will... I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, and I will. And this is in reference to what? The new covenant in contrast to what? The old, the covenant of the law of Moses. Where does it say that? It says it right here. When I took them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. So he decides that he's going to make a covenant. Or he's going to reveal to them a covenant, right? That does what? That's based on what he will do. Not what they shall do. Or what they have to and what they should or shouldn't do. It's now based on something that makes them God-occupied. Or in this case, we understand it to be Christ occupied. Grace is the height of Christ occupation where we become totally consumed with what God will do, what God has promised, what God has said, because God is a God where he says, I will remember your sins no more. I will not hold your iniquities against you. I will not. And it's all based on what God will do, not on what man has to do, not on what man can or can't do, but on the basis of what God can do. So it's a covenant that allows us to get away from being inwardly focused, inwardly occupied on ourselves, inwardly uh, focused on self-mastery to now saying, I don't have to master myself. My self-control comes from the spirit controlling myself, the spirit helping me to gain hold of the lust and the temptations that my 
than my body feels. And this is the beauty of the new covenant. This is our foundation. And here's the thing, not everyone has this foundation. You can assume that when someone says Christian, um, nowadays, we try, we try to assume and we end up being kind of led astray, is that people understand this. And they often don't. They often think it's still the other way, where it's God is still the you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. Fully occupied with itself, God and his Christianity, right? And so, um, when we see this, here's here's the, the strong point is I'm, I'm bringing out the priest now of the Old Testament, okay? And here's why. Because this priest is going to represent us to God in the Old Testament, okay? We understand that Jesus became the high priest for us so that he represents us to God in the New Testament. But this Old Testament priest represented the people to God. Okay? The priest doesn't represent God to the people. He's not a rep the prophets do. Prophets represent God to the people. And this is why the prophets prophesy judgment in the Old Testament. Because they represent God to the people in the Old Testament. So, now, we have a strong basis, okay? And the strong basis is that we're, we're in a place that's immovable, right? So as a leader, as a person who's, who's looking to, to start learning how to lead in life, um, if you don't have this foundation, okay, what ground are you leading from? Are you leading from the, the, the ground of self-occupation? or from the ground of Christ's occupation. If it's from self-occupation, every time that you do something, you're going to do it with insecurity. You're going to do it on the basis of that it's about you. Why aren't you getting fulfilled out of it? Why isn't there some satisfaction for me? Right? Why isn't it done the way I, should, I think it should be done? Why aren't things happening the way I think they should happen? Right? Because there's that element of self that somehow gets into our, our desire to serve God, right? It somehow eases its way, sneaks in, and it just rips up, it rips us away from sincerity into um, I prayed and nothing happened. You know, or um, when I pray something happened, so that makes me feel good. And we, we base our whole walk with God on those kinds of things that are uncertain and that are random and sporadic. And then what? Your emotions are unstable, right? Because it's all off this self-occupied basis where I'm just fully focused on me and how I feel and what my thoughts are and what I want, right? Versus this Christ-occupied focus where it's all about Him. Where everything is centered around Him. My strength is from Him. So notice how Jesus is the root and of Jesse and the seed of David. Right? So He's both the root and He's both the seed at the same time. So God is our source of strength. Our source, right? But He's also our output. He's also the result. 
And so in 1 John 4, 17, it says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, referring to heaven, so are we in this world. So, first John is saying here, herein is our love made perfect. This is how our love is perfected. If you want to operate in perfect love, let me teach you how. Okay? That we may have boldness. So, in this perfected love, there's the opportunity to have boldness in the day of judgment. Well, why would you be bold on the day of judgment? Because you have someone who can stand in your stead. Because you wouldn't be being judged. Because all the judgment, because of your faith in Christ, right, has already been done away with in the body of Jesus. So when the day of judgment comes, you have no issues. You're not going to be hiding under a table. This is the kind of faith that God wants us to have in Jesus Christ. That when the day of judgment happens, then what? We're not under a table, you know, worried and fearful, right? We're not hiding from God because it's never been on the basis of us. It's been on the basis of Jesus. And if you truly believe Jesus meets God's standard, then in the day of judgment, you're going to be bold. You're going to have tremendous confidence. So, because as he is, ooh, as he is, Jesus, in heaven, so are we in this world, in this, right now. As Jesus is alive, perfect, forever, seated at the right hand of God. That's our place. That's our place. So I can know that right now, as he's in heaven, perfectly, not sick, right? Not dead, right? At peace. All things that come with being in a perfect body. As he is, so are we. We are exactly that in this world. Further making the point we're complete in Christ. Further making the point that we are the hills, that we are the redeemed, that we are, we should have peace, right? Here's the thing is, when peace is gone, we think that we have to work for it. Instead of reestablishing our grounding, wait a minute, no, I have peace. You have to reestablish your ground, right? Why, why talk about this? We already know it. We know it. It's good to be reminded, yes, but I don't want to, you know, keep batting into your head where, like, you don't take any responsibility for yourself to encourage yourself with this in the Lord, right? So, so there's a balance here of why I'm saying this, because as a leader, this is going to be of the utmost importance. Not just for you to own and possess for yourself, but you'll see right now. Hebrews 9.11 says, But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. So Jesus is actually our high priest, right? He's in a more perfect tabernacle in heaven. Okay, so notice this. He's a high priest in a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say of this building. Okay. Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ is not entered into the, into the holy place made with hands. So back to the hands, right? Which are the figure of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So he takes the place of the high priest in heaven, as he is in heaven, as high priest. Okay. So are we in this world. So I'm going to go here. 
Jesus represents us to God, not God to us. He's our full representation. If you're in debt, he can pay. Right? If the prerequisite to get into heaven was that you weren't sick, right? You weren't full of sin. You weren't full of anxiety and fear. You weren't full of yourself, arrogance and pride. If the prerequisite of heaven is that you can't have any of these things to enter, right? Because we're in him, we can enter. Despite struggling with these things. It's, it's a tremendous confidence that we can have in God. To know that our salvation is sure. It's certain. It's not movable. Because it's not based on us. It's based on Jesus. In Him being enough. At all times. In all seasons. Through all emotions. Through all circumstances. Through all pain and suffering. Through everything. It's through Him. Now, I'm going to go back to 1 John 4, 17, where it says again, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is in heaven, so are we in this world. What is He in heaven? He's the high priest. He's the high priest. He's the high priest. Okay. So on earth, what are we on this earth? We are priests. We represent Jesus to everybody else. Yeah. We're, we're to represent his interests in all dealings. We are to represent. As he is in heaven, so are we in this world. So if he represents us to God, right? What are we to people? Jesus. We're representatives. Of Jesus. Of Jesus. To four people. So when I talk to someone in my family, in my friendships, in my relationships, as difficult as it is to deal with some people, as difficult as it is, you're the high priest. Your job is to what? Seek for the atonement that's needed. To provide the atonement that is needed for that person in that situation and in that moment to provide the mercy and the grace of God that is needed. Not because it comes from you, because you've been fully supplied. Forgiven much, love much, right? Forgiven much, love much. You've been fully supplied, you fully supply. Here's the issue. When you think you're partially supplied, you partially supply. You have to become aware of this. And it's going to become super evident, like, why this foundation is important because this is the foundation we need to give to other people as a leader as a person who understands the gospel there's going to come a point where I'm going to be saying stuff in Bible studies that you by, by, by 10 minutes in you're going to know the conclusion you're going to get it right and all that says is that you now need to become more of a light to people in the sense of what? Because I have the gospel, I need to be certain about it, be fully assured about it. Since I'm fully assured about it, I pass it on. I'm passing on my full assurance. I speak my confidence in God towards my sin to others. 
I'm not a perfect person. But I know this, is that I'm perfected in Christ. My love is made perfect, that I can have boldness in the day of judgment. How can you pass that on if you don't really believe it? This is true leadership. It's passed on to us from God, right? From Jesus, it's passed on to us. We're given this, right? That's his leadership to us. It starts with a good thing. It starts with something powerful, something that make, that fills all the... And this is where we talk about supply, right? When you're in a situation, um, a conversation with somebody um, yesterday about um, fatherhood and whatnot, right? And, um, you know, they're coming from the side, yeah, you know, as a, as a son, you want to please your parents, you know, you want to please God, you know, talking about that side. And I'm like, but here's the thing. If a child is disobedient to the parents... Most often, it's because their lack of supply of, of having the right attitude, having the right understanding about things. The parent has failed to supply their child with the means to do the right things. Right? There's a point where that person becomes responsible with, for these things that now have become behaviors and, and, and right there's an age of responsibility this is why they had bar mitzvah where the young man would become um, a fully grown man and it's his time now to step up and you know become a man and he's becoming fully responsible right so it's, it's understood in the culture of the jews that hey there's a point right there's a point of, of becoming a man so having said that there is a place of maturity yes but a lack of a lack of desire from a child to want to do what makes the parent smile typically comes from the parent. It comes from the parent. And so since God is not an imperfect father, if we can properly illustrate God to people, they'll want to please him. If we can properly illustrate his nature, who he is, how he deals with things, right? So when you're in a situation that's frustrating, it's you have to go back to the cross for a moment. You have to go back to, no, 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 I'm of grace. I found myself, a um, little confession here, I found myself being a little bit rough with my little brother because he wouldn't listen, you know? And I didn't want to go through the process of actually um, explaining something or actually um, using the grace that I have but then God instantly convicted me use the grace that you have with him give it to him that's the solution so I found myself slowing down having the conversation right the, the hostility that I felt like the frustration disappeared in that moment because I became aware of the supply of God's nature given to me to be able to pass on to him right and this is this happens this is this is this is life we're gonna get to those moments right but the more we respond with grace right the more good seeds that we plant the more good seeds that we plant the more fruit that bears from the seeds that are planted so, 
As he is in heaven, so are we in this world. In body, in all aspects. We are the healed, we are we're perfected in Christ. The Bible actually says that there's a this work was done from the foundation of the world. That Jesus in God's mind was crucified from the foundation of the world. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So God had an antidote for man from the very beginning. Even before he created the man. Even before he created the man. Why did Adam sin? God we had an So let's keep going. We need to pass on the boldness to others. This is true discipleship. This is true leadership. Pass on the boldness that you have in God to others. Hey, my friend. Jesus, when he died for your sins, he paid for all your sins. Do you believe that? Yes, you're right with God. So when you pray, he hears you just as clear as he hears me. With no discrepancy with no account for how long I've been a Christian or for how long you've been a Christian. Every believer, whether today's your first day being born again or your 100,000th day, has the same access to God. Right? We may not have the same awareness right, of His presence in our life, which is something we grow in, but we have the same access and yes. So how can we get people to the place of boldness? This is preaching the gospel, right? It's recertifying their standard. No, you can have full assurance. The Bible uses the word full assurance. And people become religious when their standing becomes uncertain. People become religious when their standing becomes uncertain. If you if you find people being religious about God, about what they sh people should do and shouldn't do, and even people of the world have a concept of God, and they're still religious. I was at uh, work the other day and talking to someone, and then all of a sudden, this person like kind of had this, these ideas of what was right and wrong, right? And was just talking of, about people in a way where like speaking on what they should or shouldn't be doing, right? In such an absolute manner. So you could just see that the, without even being Christian, you could see the religious mind in people that are not even believers because they have standards and expectations of what everyone should be, right? Oftentimes, that comes from being taught through a religious background where they grew up in a religion. So that mentality sticks, but the religion doesn't stick. Because of how it hurts them, they, they go away. And that's a lot of people. They go away from the religion. Oh, I don't, I don't really mess with that religion stuff. I believe in God, but I don't really mess with that religion stuff. But they're super religious. About it. <laughs> about what's right and wrong. About what to do, what you should or shouldn't do. Right? How things should be done. If it's not done that way, then that person's dumb or stupid. 
I hear this, you, you hear it everywhere. People always talking about how people should be doing things. So when people don't have certainty in their standing with God, and it's based on this, ah, I don't really know, I'm not, you know, I'm not really sure about all that, like, you can be certain they become religious. It's a, it's a never-ending cycle. They're religious because they're standing as uncertain. They're standing as certain so they become religious. It's a never-ending cycle. It's only broken by grace. Only grace can break it because grace justly administers. Oh no, there's still judgment, but it's just not on you. Right? It's not saying there's not judgment. It's just saying that it, it's executed on another person. So because he paid, you can't pay. So it's not, it's not that it messes with the justice of God. Right? So when dealing with people, you'll often find this to be true. Now, um, I want us to go through a example in 1 Thessalonians. So we're going to read it together. Um, I'm actually going to go to the Bible on my phone really quick. And I'm going to start from start from chapter 1 I'm just going to read through kind of do a, a breakdown um, let's start at verse 2 it's just an introduction so 1 Thessalonians 1 starting at verse 2 so Paul is saying here we give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers so Paul is thankful for these people let's assume and I think we can, since this is scripture, that Paul's being very sincere here, okay? Let's, let's take that assumption, right? We're not, it's, it's inspired word of God. We're not going to have him uh, have a false intention or just a pretentious, oh, like, oh, I'm thankful, like, you know. No, this is a real gratitude. And I want to emphasize that because of what's going to come next. It's important to understand that he's genuinely grateful for these people. He was happy to see these people do this thing that he's about to talk about. He was grateful. We give thanks to God always for you all. Okay? Making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of, and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. So here he lists three things that are, um, in Greek it's faith works. It's your faith works. You see, you had a basis of faith, but your faith works. The works that come from your faith. It's your love labor. You see, you have love, right? And then you have labors that proceed, right, from your love. And then patience of hope. It's your your hope that's not like your hope that's not just a rush or an, an animosity toward God for something. Oh, like I like a, like a need. It's not like a need. It's a calm. I can wait for your time. Right? Is that I'm bearing the fruit of patience as a result of the hope I have. So I have trust in the hope that I have. There's a complete assurance that what, what God said will come to pass so I don't mind waiting right it creates a work in you the hope you have creates a work in you so he says knowing brethren 
beloved, your election of God. Okay, but here's the foundation of that, of getting to the point where your faith has works, where your love has labor, and where your hope is patient. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So they knew the type of men that Paul was. They knew the type of man that Paul was. They saw how he was, right? And they learned much from him. So that when Paul looks at them and hears of their testimony of the kind of people they are, right? He knows, no, I intentionally left that with you. So I'm so grateful to see it. Because that was the intention. That was the seed I planted on purpose. And he left them with what? Much assurance. Much assurance. We can use another word, maybe boldness. There's a certainty, okay, here. Now, and you became followers of us and of the Lord having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. They were going through persecution, going through affliction, going through trials. But when the Holy Spirit fell, right, they experienced an immeasurable joy, right? They came from God. See, without God, affliction is just affliction. Mm -hmm. But it's the Holy Ghost that brings joy in affliction. It brings the awareness that God is up to something. It brings the awareness, right, of hope. No, there's a way out. There's a way of escape, right? And he's saying, so you became father. Because guess what? That's what Paul showed them. He's saying, no, I'm happy that you guys are like, you followed us. The fruit that you're producing is what I what I what I planted. It's the intention that I planted, and I see it coming to pass. And it's just a reflection of what you saw in me, which was what, as Paul was afflicted, he had much joy in the Holy Ghost. Right? We pass on who we really are, not who we tell people we are. We pass on who we really are. This is why we must really believe the gospel. We must really believe that in our certainty, in our assurance, in the full assurance that we have of, of, of God and saying, hey, if I went today, I'm there. As he is in heaven, that's where I'll be. I'll be with him right there in him in heaven. Now, he says this, so that you were in samples or examples to all that believe in Macedonia, Achaia. So, so much so, he, they picked up his example, and then they were examples to others, okay? And of what? Of what? Verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia, Nicaea, but also in every place your faith, every place your faith, to Godward is spread abroad 
so that we need not speak not to speak anything it was their faith their confidence in what in the thing that doesn't move in the gospel for they for they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turn to God from idols to serving the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come so a lot of people are going to go into like the lifestyle elements and say oh it was like they were like super righteous in all their deeds right Okay, and they're gonna say, "Well, that's what they copied, and that's what they follow." So, follow me as I follow Christ. Copy my, copy my actions. No, 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 no. Don't copy my actions. Copy my faith. Copy the faith that I have in God. So, this is why our focus needs to be on Jesus, and to become fully occupied with Christ, because. When you're fully occupied with Christ, your faith will be at an all-time high. Your faith will be at a pivotal point of, of, of uh, it'll be running over, like, like a cup running over, right? And when your faith is like that, when people see that cup running over, they're going to want to copy that. Your faith will produce works on its own. We're not, we're not really focused on that. We're focused on having the right faith, right? So we need to pass this on to other people. This should be the thing you're the most intentional about. I went to a service um, a few months ago. It was a young adult service, young adults everywhere, uh, all over the place. And I was looking around and I was praying and I was feeling in the spirit and I was just kind of like feeling things in the spirit. and all of a sudden, I like, I just felt the same same thing everywhere. I felt the same spirit everywhere. Like I looked at different people, and I had the same word of knowledge from God about different people. This person has no assurance, and they're standing with God. This person has no assurance, and they're standing with God. This person has no assurance, and they're standing with God. And God was just pointing them out to me. So guess what I started doing? When I prayed for them, And I went to lay hands on them. I asked their permission. I said, hey, can I pray for you? Sure. Put my hands on them and I prayed for them. And God started just speaking through me. And what God started speaking was assurance. You believe the gospel. You believe Jesus died, buried, and rose again for your sin. You have standing with God. Stop questioning it. You have standing with God. Stop questioning it. Because guess what all of them are asking? Am I right with God? Am I right with God? Does he, does he love me? Am I right with God? Do I have standing with God? So the type of leadership people need from you isn't this worldly um, self-help leadership. It's what? It's your faith. They need you to have faith when it counts. They need you to have full assurance. It's contagious. Full assurance is contagious. I'm pretty sure if I wasn't confident in what I was teaching and preaching, or you didn't feel that, right? Would you be here? 
<laughs> no. They said no, okay, guys. <laughs> you wouldn't be here. It's just a fact, right? It wouldn't make sense for you to be here. It would actually say more about you than me. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? If you follow someone who has no confidence in what they're doing, it says more about you, right? And your willingness and you're maybe just not paying attention or you're or having some sort of ignorance about things. Or you're just like, oh, well, who cares, you know? Like, no, it matters. So, they're showing, they're waiting, they're waiting.